Part two, chapter nine of War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy, translated by Nathan Haskell Doyle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. The Russian army of thirty-five thousand men, under command of Kutuzov, pursued by the French, a hundred thousand strong, under Bonaparte himself, meeting with unfriendly disposed natives, no longer having confidence in their allies, suffering from a lack of provisions, and obliged to act in a manner opposite to all preconceived conditions of war, was in a hasty retreat down the Danube, halting when the enemy overtook them, and fighting them off by skirmishes at the rear guard, but fighting no more than was necessary to ensure their retreat without losing any of their baggage. Actions had taken place at Lambach, at Amstetten, at Melk, but, notwithstanding the bravery and fortitude displayed by the Russians, as even their enemy acknowledged, these actions did not prevent their movements from being a retreat, conducted with all possible celerity. The Austrians, who had escaped from the surrender at Ulm, and had joined Kutuzov at Brunau, had now separated from the Russians, and Kutuzov was left with only his weakened, famished forces. It was impossible any longer to think of defending Vienna. In place of the offensive warfare, so craftily elaborated in accordance with the laws of the new science of strategy, the plan of which had been communicated to Kutuzov by the Hofskriegsrath while he was in Vienna, the only thing that was left him now, unless he were to sacrifice his army, as Mack had done at Ulm, was to effect a juncture with the troops on their way from Russia, and even this was almost an impossibility. On the ninth of November, Kutuzov and his army crossed to the left bank of the Danube, and, for the first time, halted, having now put the river between himself and the main body of the French. On the eleventh, he attacked and defeated the division under Mortier, which was stationed on the left bank of the Danube. In this engagement, for the first time, some trophies were captured, a stand of colors, cannon, and two of the enemy's generals. For the first time, after a fortnight's retreat, the Russian army halted, and at the end of the battle not only held the field of battle, but had driven off the French. Although the army was exhausted and in rags, and reduced a third by the killed, wounded, sick, and stragglers. Although the sick and wounded had been left on the other side of the Danube, with a letter from Kutuzov commending them to the magnanimity of the enemy, although the regular hospitals, and the houses of Krems which had been turned into lazarettos, were unable to receive all the sick and wounded remaining, still, in spite of all this, the halt at Krems, and the victory over Mortier, signally raised the spirits of the army. The most gratifying but improbable reports were in circulation throughout the troops, and even at headquarters, concerning imaginary reinforcements from Russia being at hand, concerning some great victory won by the Austrians, and the retreat and panic of Bonaparte. During the battle, Prince Andrei had been near the Austrian general, Schmidt, when he was killed. His own horse had been wounded under him, and he himself had been slightly grazed by a bullet on the hand. As a sign of special favor from the commander-in-chief, he was sent to carry the news of this victory to the Austrian court, which had left Vienna, now threatened by the French, and was established at Brunn. On the evening of the victory, Prince André, excited, but not weary, for in spite of his apparently delicate constitution, he could endure physical fatigue far better than much stronger men, having brought Dokhturov's report to Kutuzov, was dispatched that same evening as a special courier to Brunn. 
such an errand ensured the courier not only a decoration but pointed infallibly to promotion the night was dark but starry the road made a black line across the snow which had been falling during the engagement now recalling the impressions of the battle through which he had passed now joyfully imagining the impression which he should cause by the news of the victory recollecting the parting words of the commander-in-chief and his comrades prince andrei drove on at a furious pace in his post-carriage experiencing the feelings of a man who had long waited and at last is about to attain his wished-for joy as soon as he closed his eyes his ears were filled with the roar of musketry and cannon mingled with the rumble of the wheels and the details of victory now it seemed to him that the russians were flying and that he himself was killed but he would awake with a start feeling a strange delight at the realization that nothing of the sort had taken place and that on the contrary it was the french who had been defeated then again he would recall all the details of the victory his own serene manliness during the engagement and his recollections would lull him to sleep again the dark starry night was followed by a bright joyous day the snow gleamed in the sunshine and the horses sped swiftly along and in monotonous variety on both sides flew by new woods fields and villages at one of the post-houses he overtook a train of russian wounded a russian officer in charge of the convoy was stretched out in the foremost cart and shouting at the top of his voice and scolding the soldiers in coarse language the long german forspuns each containing six or more wounded pale and bandaged and dirty jolted heavily along over the rough paved road some of them were talking prince andrei overheard their russian speech others were munching bread while those who were most seriously hurt gazed with the good-natured and childish curiosity of sickness at the courier hurrying by them prince andrei ordered the driver to stop and asked one of the soldiers where they had been wounded day before yesterday on the danube replied the soldier prince andrei took out his purse and gave the soldier three gold pieces for them all he added turning to the officer in command get well as fast as you can boys said he to the soldiers there's still much to be done well mr adjutant what's the news asked the old officer evidently taking a fancy to have a talk good news forward he cried to his driver and he was borne swiftly on it was already quite dark when prince andrei reached brun and found himself surrounded by lofty houses lighted shops and street lamps handsome carriages rumbling over the wooden pavements and by all that atmosphere of a large lively city which is always so fascinating to a soldier after camp life prince andrei notwithstanding the swiftness of his journey and his sleepless night felt as he drove up to the palace even more excited than he had the evening before his eyes gleamed with a feverish light and his thoughts rushed through his mind with extraordinary rapidity and clearness vividly all the details of the battle came into his mind not with any confusion but in due sequence word for word as he imagined he should render his account to the emperor franz vividly he imagined the circumstantial questions which might be asked him and the answers which he should make to them he supposed that he should be immediately summoned before the emperor but at the principal entrance of the palace he was met by an official who discovering that he was only a courier sent him round to another entrance take the corridor at the right or your hochgeboren there you will find the flugel adjutant who is on duty said the official he will take you to the minister of war the flugel adjutant 
coming to meet Prince Andrei, asked him to wait while he went to the minister. In five minutes he returned, and, bowing with unusual deference, and allowing Prince Andrei to pass in front of him, directed him through a corridor into a private office occupied by the minister of war. The flugel adjutant, by his extravagant politeness, seemed to be trying to defend himself from any attempt at familiarity on the part of the Russian courier. Prince Andrei's exultant feeling was decidedly cooled down the moment he entered the door into the minister's private office. He felt humiliated, and this feeling of wounded pride changed instantly, but imperceptibly, into a feeling of contempt which had no reasonable cause. His fertile mind at the same moment began to search for a point of view according to which he might be justified in scorning both the Fugel adjutant and the minister of war. It is probably very easy for them to show how to gain victories, though they have never smelt gunpowder, he said to himself. His eyes contracted contemptuously. He walked into the war minister's private office with all the deliberation in the world. This feeling was still further intensified when he caught sight of that dignitary sitting between two candles at a great table, and not deigning to give his visitor even a glance for the first two minutes. The war minister's bald head, with its fringe of grey hair, was bent over some papers which he was reading and marking with a lead pencil. He finished reading them, not even lifting his head when the door opened to admit his visitor, though he must have heard the steps. "'Take this and deliver it at once,' said the minister of war to his secretary, handing him some papers, and not even yet recognizing the existence of the courier. Prince Andrei came to the conclusion that out of all the affairs that preoccupied the minister of war, the feats of Kutuzov's army either interested him the least, or else he felt obliged to give this impression to the Russian courier. "'Well, it is all the same to me,' he said to himself. The minister of war assorted the rest of his papers, placing them in regular order, and then at last lifted his head. He had an intelligent and determined face, but at the instant that he turned to Prince Andrei, this intelligent and firm expression seemed to change as if by purpose and consciously, and in its place came a dull, hypocritical smile, in which there was no pretense even of hiding its hypocrisy, the habitual smile of a man accustomed to receiving many petitions one after the other. From General Field Marshal Kutuzov, he asked, I hope it is good news, so he has had an encounter with Mortier. A victory. It was time. He took the dispatch which was directed to him and began to read it with a melancholy expression. Ach, mein Gott, mein Gott, Schmidt, said he in German. What a misfortune, what a misfortune. Having run through the paper, he laid it on the table and glanced at Prince Andrei, evidently weighing something in his mind. Ach, what a misfortune. That affair, you say, was decisive, but Mortier was not taken. He pondered. I am very glad that you have brought me this good news, although the death of Schmidt is a costly price to pay for the victory. His Majesty will probably desire to see you, but not this evening. I thank you. Go and get rested. Tomorrow be at the levee after the parade. However, I will give you due notice. The dull smile which had disappeared during the conversation again appeared on the war minister's face. Goodbye. Auf Wiedersehen. I thank you very much. His Majesty the Emperor will no doubt wish to see you, he repeated, and inclined his head. When Prince Andrei had left the palace, he felt that all the interest and happiness which the victory had brought him had deserted him and been left behind in the indifferent hands of the war minister and of the polite flugel adjutant. 
the whole course of his thoughts had instantly changed. The battle seemed to him like the recollection of something that happened long before. End of chapter 9